It's Monday, May the 2nd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up, evacuations from Mariupol, and Pelosi meets Zelensky. First, the world in brief. Around 100 people were evacuated from the Ozovstal steelworks in Mariupol, a port city in southeastern Ukraine, before Russian shelling resumed. They had been trapped there since mid-April. Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov speculated that the Ukrainian government is trying to spirit away Western officers or mercenaries. He also dashed hopes that Russia would quit the war by May 9th the anniversary of the Allies' victory in the Second World War. Meanwhile, more fires were detected at military sites on Russian territory. Ukraine has declined to say how or whether it stages cross-border attacks. President Vladimir Zelensky met Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and other American lawmakers in Kyiv, Ukraine's capital. Ms Pelosi is hoping Congress will pass a $33 billion aid package for Ukraine, including over $20 billion for military assistance. Meanwhile, Olaf Scholz, Germany's Chancellor, rejected criticism that he had been too slow to provide Ukraine with support, saying that he avoided, quote, hasty actions. EU diplomats convening in Brussels were reported to be planning a complete ban on Russian oil that could be instituted by year-end. Thousands of people demonstrated in cities across France on Sunday, in part to call on the newly re-elected president, Emmanuel Macron, to increase salaries and drop his plan to raise the retirement age to 65. The cost of living was an important theme in the presidential race and will be a talking point ahead of the legislative elections in June, where Mr Macron hopes his party can hold on to its majority. Fewer than 10,000 COVID-19 cases were recorded in Shanghai for the second day in a row, suggesting that the outbreak in China's biggest city may be easing. On Sunday, officials said that six of 16 districts had reached, quote, zero COVID status. However, In Beijing, the capital, restrictions were tightened further. Data released on Saturday revealed that manufacturing activity in April had plummeted to its lowest level in more than two years, largely due to lockdowns in several cities. America pledged to increase its diplomatic engagement with Pacific Island countries amid anxiety about China's growing military presence in the Solomon Islands. Kurt Campbell, the Indo-Pacific coordinator, said leaders from across the Pacific would be invited to the White House later this year. He added that America would also fund more development projects in the region. A political rival claimed that Sri Lanka's president, Gotabaya Rajapaksa, has promised to find a replacement for his brother, Mahinda Rajapaksa, the Prime Minister. The president wants to appease protesters who are demanding regime change amid an economic crisis. But opposition parties have refused to join any government ruled by a Rajapaksa. The Prime Minister's spokesperson, 
said that he had not heard of any plans to remove him from office. The world's longest long hauls are getting longer. Qantas, Australia's national carrier, announced direct flights connecting Sydney to London by end 2025. It placed an order for 12 Airbus jets capable of flying between any two airports in the world, opening the door to even more distant cities if there were any. Buckle up for a journey of 19 hours or more. And fact of the day. 17%. How much the population of Warsaw, Poland's capital, has expanded in recent weeks. And now, here's today's agenda. Amazonians of the world unite. A month ago, workers at an Amazon warehouse on Staten Island voted to form a union, a first at the mega-retailer after years of unsuccessful efforts. Their victory may well beget more. On Monday, ballots will be counted at another facility in the same borough of New York. That New York produced Amazon's first and possibly second union is explained partly by its tradition of supporting labour rights. Among the states, it has the second highest share of unionised workers at 22.2% compared with a national average of 10%. The other reason is that the drives were directed not by a national outfit, but by the Amazon Labour Union, a small independent group which originated in Staten Island and is led by current and former employees. Amazon surely hopes its loss will not be repeated. But the recent experience of Starbucks suggests otherwise. Since the first cafe in America voted to unionise in December, roughly 40 have followed. Nearly 250 have sought votes to form unions. Unionisation, it seems, can be contagious. Russia's detention centres in Ukraine On Saturday, Sergei Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister, claimed that more than one million people have been evacuated from Ukraine to Russia since the conflict started on February 24th. Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, says that at least half a million people have been moved, but forcibly. Either way, many have passed through Russian, quote, filtration camps, detention centres first built after the Second World War to stamp out anti-Soviet ideology among returning prisoners of war and displaced peoples. The camps were known for their human rights abuses, including rape, extortion and torture. The parallels in Ukraine are disturbing. In March, a satellite image showed Russian-backed forces building a temporary camp on the outskirts of Mariupol in southeastern Ukraine, where Ukrainians were to be interrogated and deported to Russia. Some who escaped claimed to have witnessed torture and killings by Russian security services. Russia insists the relocations are benign and voluntary. But filtration camps appear to be a tool of war to erase Ukrainian identity. 
Europe scrambles to respond to Russia's energy blackmail. On Monday, the energy ministers of EU members meet in France to discuss how to deal with Russia's decision to cut off gas to Poland and Bulgaria on April 27th. It will be a heated debate. Gazprom, Russia's state-owned energy giant, says it halted supplies after the countries missed a deadline to pay for them in rubles. Other deadlines are looming for much bigger importers of the fuel, including Germany and Italy. Most European buyers have ruled out paying directly in rubles. Some seem ready to accept a compromise solution where they would pay in euros, then convert the money into rubles after opening accounts in the two currencies at Gazprom Bank in Russia. But the EU has said even this would breach sanctions. And this week the EU is expected to approve an embargo on Russian oil. The brinkmanship between Russia to Europe is becoming ever less predictable. Narendra Modi courts Europe. After a spate of visits from Western diplomats, many seeking to change India's neutral stance on Ukraine, it is now Narendra Modi's turn to do some wooing. On Monday, India's Prime Minister embarks on a European tour. He will visit Denmark, France and Germany over three days and participate in 25 meetings. In Germany, his first stop, Mr Modi will meet his counterpart, Olaf Scholz. They will lead a business roundtable aimed at strengthening commercial ties between Germany and India. In France, he will, quote, reaffirm the close friendship between the two countries. The war in Ukraine will also be on the agenda. According to Tobias Lidner, a German foreign office minister, Quote, no major problem can be solved without India. Referring to climate change and security, Mr Modi has described European countries as, quote, important companions in India's, quote, quest for peace and prosperity. This week, the nature of that companionship may become clearer. Wimbledon's forced error. Last month, the All England Club, which runs the Wimbledon Tennis Tournament, announced that Russian and Belarusian players would be banned from its competition in 2022. This means that five of the top 50 men and eight of the top 50 women will be excluded. But by opting to follow the lead of the British government, Wimbledon, which claims to have had, quote, no viable alternative, has provoked the ire of much of the tennis world. So far, no other tournament has followed suit. For a start, one Russian player, Andrei Rublev, who was opposed to the war in Ukraine, says the decision is discriminatory. This week, Mr Rublev will play in the Madrid Open as a, quote, neutral athlete, thus not representing any country. He will do the same at the French Open in May. Meanwhile, the Women's Tennis Association is considering sanctions against Wimbledon, believing the decision to be against the association's rules. A difficult decision could be about to backfire. 
daily quiz. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. What term developed in America in the late 19th century is used for a ground beef patty served as a main course with gravy, not in a bun? Finally, here's the quote of the day. From Leonardo da Vinci, who died on this day in 1519. Poor is the pupil that does not surpass his master. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 